I realized this week I'm entering into my seventh calendar year as the lead pastor here. And, and that, that blows my mind that, that I have been able to serve in this position for a portion of seven different years. It is, it is truly, uh, flying by. And in those, in those years, we have had a few different sermon series where we've talked about church identity, where we've talked about who we are. And we've talked about it in the context of a little phrase that we would use that when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. Identity is important for us as a Christian to know we are Christ followers, and that really spells out what our lives are supposed to look like and what we're supposed to do in our lives. And as a church, when we understand who we are, who Christ has called us to be, it helps us to figure out what we're supposed to do as a church. Knowing who God has called us to be in Pinson, Alabama, in the location that we are, in the year that we exist, helps us to understand how we're supposed to prioritize and focus as a church when it comes to corporate worship, when it comes to our life together, when it comes to mission. But in the past, I think we've just had glimpses of that picture where God has shown us at times portions, pieces of the puzzle of, of who we are and who we're supposed to be as a church. And what I'm really excited about is I think in this series, the Lord is allowing us to really begin to communicate the full picture that He has given us. And it's not coming from this series. This series is a product of that. It is a product of the leaders of this church, the elders of this church, being able to sit down together and say, okay, I, I really think the Lord is, is bringing all of this together and showing us this complete picture of who we are and who we're supposed to be. And therefore what we are supposed to do. And the great thing about this, what I am so excited about, is that what we're going to talk about in this series, about what we hold true, who we are as a church, isn't the product of the last few years. It isn't the product of a, a new pastor coming in or someone taking the reins of being the lead pastor, new elders coming in, and then those people coming up and saying, okay, well, here's, here's how we're, we feel like we should do things, and here's how, here's how we're going to mold and shape things and the vision that we're going to put before the church. That's not what's happening at all. We have a very unique, very unique situation and also a great gift all three of the current elders of this church have been here for at least 13 years. Not as elders that whole time. But have been in this church for at least 13 years. And we have seen God give direction. And we have seen God emphasize certain things during the time that we've been here. That we've been able to come to a point and say, we see the best that we can, we discern the best we can through the Spirit what God has been doing here to get us to this point of being able to communicate this to the church. That's what is so exciting to me, is the long work that God has been doing here. This series is going to be about eight weeks long. If you have been in this church for any length of time, nothing that I say in the next eight weeks should be a surprise to you. Nothing that I'm going to share with you about the beliefs and the values of this church should in any way shock you if you have been here for any length of time. There's no surprises that we're about to throw at you. I think you're going to see 
that we are bringing together what we believe as a church in the communication that God has been giving to all of us for several years. And I'm really excited about the process of, of preaching through this and what I think is to come. Because when we get done, there's going to be a point later this year where you as a church will have an opportunity to affirm some of these things that we're talking about in this series as part of the very bylaws of this church. And we can begin communicating these things to our community as they seek out a church in the area and say, well, what is this church about? That we can clearly communicate to them. Here is what agape is about. Here are the beliefs and the values of this church. But I don't intend for this series to just be a lecture on the beliefs and the values of agape. I hope to show you how all of these beliefs and values are rooted in God's Word and how we are supposed to act out of them. And I hope that as we go through this, we are stirred not only to unity together, but we are stirred to the things of God that He has done in human history and what He is doing in our church. There's three questions that I hope when we get to the end of this series that you will be able to answer. And they're on the front of your worship guide. I put them under the series goals because these are the three things that I'm hoping when we get to the end of this that you will be able to go back and say, I can answer these three questions. And I'm going to try to briefly cover them now. Not the answers, but what we mean by them. Number one, what core beliefs form theological unity at Agape Church. In other words, what are the primary beliefs that hold us together? It's a very fancy sentence, but what does it mean? It means we're asking the question, what are the core things that we believe as a church that bring us together in unity? I don't know if you have noticed, but in the Christian church, we divide a lot. We divide a lot. We separate into different groups. And a lot of the times, the reason that we do that is we separate based on the things that we hold to be really, really important. So there are certain churches that say, well, this is what is extremely important to us. And another church says, well, these are things that are extremely important to us. And this church says, well, I don't, I don't really necessarily believe in that. And this church says, well, I don't necessarily believe in that. And so we... We have separation. One of the things that I've always loved about Agape is that we're all from pretty diverse backgrounds. I've had people come in and say, now what kind of, what kind of church is this? Or I've had other people say, now are we still Baptists? Because this is a Baptist-rooted church. And just to answer that question, we have not removed ourselves from the Baptist convention or anything like that. But you know what? If I was to go around this room and I was to have you stand up and say, hey, what's your background? It wouldn't all be Baptist. As a matter of fact, there are people in this church right now, right now, there are people in this church that I've heard stories that they have, during the week or on a weekend, gone to a charismatic worship service to pursue the Lord. There are other people in this church that I've heard about that have attended Orthodox communion services. And I love that. I love that. I love that we recognize that there are certain ways, different ways that people in the church worship, and it's okay. And there are certain things that we might not agree on completely, 
But we're still a church. So here's the question, though. Here's the question. How do we as agape not make our belief so narrow that Christian brothers and sisters who may believe somewhat differently than we do don't fit in here? And how do we not make our belief so broad that we're not rooted in good doctrine? That's what this question means. At the end of the day, what should we agree on in order to be in a church together? What should we be able to say? As long as we agree on these things, we can have fellowship. We can learn from one another. We can disciple one another. We can go on mission together as long as we believe these things. That's what the answer to that first question is for. And I hope we're able to say that when we get to the end of this series. Secondly, because we're not simply talking about being church attenders. You can attend a church for a good long time and not necessarily believe all that they believe. But we're talking about when you get to that point of saying, I want to belong to this local church. This is the church that I I, I want to put my family in. This is the church that I want to invest in. And we've come come to commonly call that church membership, which is it's a term that I'm, it, it's fine. Uh, it's, it's not the greatest term in the world because I think sometimes when we think about membership, we think about a country club or a gym and we pay our dues and we get certain benefits. And I, I don't think that's what church membership is at all. But I do think it's a belonging to a church. So here's the question. What does it mean to belong to Agape. How do we define that? And what's even the purpose in it? Why should someone want to belong to the local church? And why why should someone want to belong here? And if someone wants to belong to this church, what should they believe? And what does that look like? And we want to try to answer that question in this series. To strengthen our own understanding of why we're here and members here, or to invite people who have not yet joined to join, and to be ready to receive others from the community in the future when they come. And then finally, what are the core values of agape? And how should each member apply them? When you step outside of those core beliefs that we were talking about a moment ago, when we say these are the things that you you should really believe if we're going to be in fellowship together, these are the things that we need unity on. But when you step outside of that, you still have values. You still have things that you say, this is really important. We find this as a church to be extremely important. And we're going to, in this series, present to you six core values that we believe God has given agape. Again, not that we've come up with, but things that I think God has been working here for years. So I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. One of them should be no surprise. We value being a house of prayer. Now, to join this church, do you have to fully understand what that means and be committed to it? We don't expect that. That's a discipleship method and process. There are certain things you need to believe to be a member here. But what we want you to know is that there are certain values that we have that if you are here, you're going to hear us talk about these things. These are the values that... that Help us go on mission together and help us understand what we are going to prioritize as a church. These are values that we expect our leaders to have. 
that if you're going to be a leader here and a teacher here, we do expect not only for you to agree to our core beliefs, but also that you have these same values so that there's not confusion in the church. So that the leaders and the teachers in the church are on the same page. We want to talk about what those values are in this series. And we want to try to help you understand how to live those values out. So during this series, if you have questions that come up, if there are things that you're confused by or that you're wondering, like, okay, exactly what does this mean? Come talk to us. Come talk to me, Kevin, Sam, and let us dialogue with you about those things. But I really hope when we get to the end of this, we'll be able to answer those three questions and we will be able uh, to have strengthened unity together as a church. But as I said, this isn't just about a class. This is I don't want this to be an eight-week membership class. This is not just about a lecture. We want to be in God's Word, and we want to understand where these beliefs are coming from. And so today, we're going to start with the foundation. A core belief. Before we get to what binds us together in membership, we want to talk about the core belief that we share as a church, the very foundation of the church, and that is salvation. Salvation in Jesus. And how do we define that as a church? In the worship guide on the left-hand side, this is how we have it written out. And this is what will be in any kind of information packet that we give you about the beliefs and the values of our church. Here's how we put before you what salvation in Christ is. At Agape Church, we believe that salvation into Christ occurs by grace through faith. Scripture teaches that one who desires to be saved must sincerely believe from their heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, raised from the dead after suffering for the redemption of sins. And that this belief leads them to repentance of sin and confession that Jesus is Lord. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord in this way will be saved. Not by their own works, but by belief in the finished work of Jesus on their behalf. Now I want to take some time, the rest of the time that I have this morning, to let's talk about what this means, and how we are saved into Christ. If you're a note taker, on the right hand side we have this preaching guide. You can fill in the blanks if that is helpful to you. And I want to start with this, to look to Jesus. I want to kind of explain why that language is there, salvation into Christ. Why not say salvation by Christ, where Jesus saves us, or we are saved by Jesus, because that is certainly true. But the communication here is that this salvation that we're talking about is into a brand new life. It is not merely being rescued from something, but it is being rescued from something and saved into a brand new life. And I have in your notes Galatians 2.20, which when I was writing it out this morning, I thought, what an incredible verse that we could memorize. And if someone were to ask us, what does it mean to be a Christian? How powerful would it be to say this? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And this life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me 
and gave himself for me. That is how Paul described being a Christian. We have been crucified with him. When we are saved into Christ, the picture is the old way of life is gone. It doesn't matter if you're five years old when God gives you that revelation. The life that you have been living, the life that you would have lived is dead. It's gone. You consider yourself crucified with Christ. As He died, you die to yourself. And if you're older, you look back and you see that life that you were living and the sins and the things that the worldliness that enveloped you, that life is gone because you have been crucified with Christ. And so now you say, it's no longer just me living my life. It's no longer just me doing whatever I think is right. It's no longer just me living by my wisdom. It's no longer just working things out how I think is best. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I am living in this flesh, for the rest of my days, I live by faith. I live looking to Him. I live holding on to Him and clinging to Him. He is the Son of God who loved me. He is the Son of God who gave Himself for me. And I have given Him my life. That is salvation into Christ. A brand new identity. The catalyst of that salvation, the Bible tells us, is grace. Grace is the catalyst of salvation. Literally, it's the spark. How, did, how does the fire get started? What, what lights the fire? The Bible says grace. If you have a Bible, if you would go to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look at some verses in Ephesians 2. We're going to bounce back and forth between Ephesians 2 and Romans 10 this morning. Ephesians chapter 2. And I'm, I'm actually going to back up just a little bit, start in verse 1. And you, talking to us, those who are Christians, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God. Church, the only bridge between what was just said of us in verses 1-3 through three and all that's about to be said about us in verses 4-6 through six and beyond. The only catalyst but God. We are dead in our sins but God. We are following the enemy, the prince of the power of the air. Maybe not by name, but by nature, but God. We lived in the passions of our flesh, but God. We carried out the desires of our body and mind, but God. We were by nature children deserving wrath. Children of wrath. Facing judgment and eternal death, but God. But God, 
being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. What is the catalyst from going from spiritual death to spiritual life? God. His mercy. His work. God doing something to intervene in who we were and where we were going is the catalyst of salvation. By grace, we have been saved. By the mercy of God and the kindness of God, He stepped into the path and has saved us. That's how Paul puts it. Grace is the catalyst. Faith is the means. Grace is the catalyst. Faith is the means. He continues on down in verse 8. And he says, For by grace you have been saved. So just what he just told us, the grace of God is the catalyst. And then he says, through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. Now what is he talking about faith in? He's saying by grace, grace is the catalyst, but now here's the means by which He has saved you. How does that, how does that grace work? How is it applied to my life? Through faith. Through you believing something. What are you supposed to believe? Let's go over to Romans 10. Let's jump over there. Keep your finger, if you will, in the Bible in Ephesians 2 because we're going to go about right back. Romans 10, what Scott just read to us. Verse 10. We'll go to verse 9 in Romans 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. That word justified means made not guilty, declared not guilty, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Paul is saying, here's what we have faith in. We believe that Jesus is Lord and God raised Him from the dead. But what Paul is saying there is not merely that we believe in the resurrection, that's part of it, but we believe in the whole story that led to the resurrection. That we believe in our own sin and iniquity and our separation from God because we were children of wrath. And we believe that Jesus, the Son of God, came to the earth to live that life that we couldn't live in human form, suffering temptation just as we do, but never sinning. We believe that He died a criminal's death. He died a death of judgment from His Father, but not because of His sin, but because of ours. We believe that on the cross, Jesus took our place as a child of wrath. We believe that He suffered death And we believe on the third day He rose again. That is the means by which we are saved. By grace, through faith. Our faith in the Gospel. Our faith in what Christ has done. And then go back to Ephesians 2. And in your notes, I want you to know both are gifts from God. The grace and the faith are both gifts from God. Look at how Paul puts it in verse 8 and 9. Ephesians 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith. So there it is. 
by grace, through faith. That's how salvation comes. And this is not your own doing. What is he saying there? What's he applying that to? Not just grace, but even the faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is not a result of works so that no one may boast. The grace that was the catalyst for our salvation and the faith we have that is the means of our salvation, both, the Bible says, are God's gifts. What does that mean? It, me it means God didn't do part of that work. He didn't do part of the work to give you grace and then said, okay, now you, you drum up enough faith to believe. It, it means that the reason that you're saved, if you're sitting in this room right now and you're clinging to Jesus, is not because you were able to come to a place of belief where no one else can. Not because you have been able to do the great work of faith in your life. It is because God has done a work in you. Both the grace and the faith are His gifts. And where does that leave us? I said that I want this to be practical. I want us to think about the actions that come out of this. Why is it important to understand that both grace and faith are gifts of God? Because that is what leads us, in your notes, to be humble and thankful. When it comes to our salvation, we should be humble and thankful. Humble? I did nothing to be saved. When I stand before God one day, there is not one single thing that I can look at Him and say, I did this. It's all His work. That humbles me. When I look at people in the world who are not saved, when I look at people who are lost and dying and going to hell, I have nothing that I can stand on above them and say, well, I'm, I'm better than you are. No, at the cross, the ground is level. I have nothing to brag about. I have nothing to boast about. It was all God. It was all God. That's my humility and it's my thankfulness. You're going to have times in your life where you're not going to understand what God is doing. You're going to have times in your life where things are not going to go the way you want them to go. You're going to have times in your life where you're praying about things and you're not seeing breakthrough. You're going to have times in your life where you could look up and say, I'm disappointed. What keeps us? What keeps us praising God and worshiping God and joyful in God even in our disappointments? It's because He has rescued us from hell. It's because He has kept us from His wrath. It's because He has given us the gifts of grace and faith. And that is what makes us thankful for all He has done. Saving faith. I don't want 
to paint the picture that it is not something that you have to exercise. It is. You have a will. You have the ability to make choices and decisions. You have the ability to choose and not choose certain things. And you need to exercise your will. You need to exercise that faith. And it all begins when you hear the Gospel. That's what the Bible says to us. In your notes, saving faith comes as we hear the Gospel. Back to what Scott read in Romans 10. We didn't go all the way to verse 17, but if we'd have kept reading after the part where Scott was reading about the importance of preaching the good news, going to verse 17, Paul concludes there, faith comes from hearing. What does it mean? It means when we hear the Gospel, that is where faith begins to well up in us. We hear the Gospel and something happens. We hear the Gospel and we don't just reject it. We don't just walk away from it. We, just don't, we don't just say, well, that, that's foolishness. We hear the Gospel and something piques our interest. Something in us says, I, I need to listen to this. Something in us says, I need to, I need to hear this a little bit more. I, I, need to, I need to think about this. That gift is working in us. But now we need to exercise that gift. We need to exercise that faith and put it into Christ. Faith comes as we hear the Gospel. So, in your notes, the Gospel must be spoken to everyone. That's a takeaway for us. It's what Scott read in Romans 10. The conclusion that Paul reaches because the way to be saved is to hear the Gospel? How then will anyone call on Jesus if they've not believed? If they haven't felt that in their heart, that faith that is welling up in them, that God is, is working them, then how are they ever going to believe? How are they ever going to call on Him unless they have that belief in them? But how are they going to believe if they have never heard the Gospel? How can you believe upon Jesus if you've never heard about Jesus? How can you believe upon His finished work on the cross if you haven't heard it? So you must hear it. And then Paul says, how are they to hear without someone preaching? Get every idea out of your mind that comes when you hear the word preaching. He's not simply talking about someone standing in a church behind a lectern or a pulpit, or a podium, or whatever you call it, and preaching the Gospel. He's talking about the people of God sharing the Gospel of Jesus with people who don't believe. He's talking about you. He's talking about me. He's talking about us in the world around unbelievers. The old saying that has been attributed to a whole lot of different people, and it doesn't really matter who originally said it, because it's not that great of a quote. Preach the Gospel at all times. If you must use words, the Gospel is words. You live it out, but faith comes from hearing the message. Faith doesn't come from just someone doing a good work. Faith comes from the Gospel being shared. 
Does that take boldness? Is that scary? Yes. Does that invite ridicule and shame and persecution and job loss? Yes. It's our mission. I, I, I struggle with it probably the same as you do. I can invite someone here and I can do this with a great deal of boldness because that's what you should expect if you come here. Outside of here, mingling with someone who's not a believer, that's challenging. This is our mission though, to share the Gospel. So the Gospel must be spoken to all. Who can be saved? That's an important question. Who can be saved? And here's the biblical answer. And it's the answer that we have in our core belief statement. Everyone or anyone who calls out to Jesus with a sincere belief in His ability to rescue them from God's wrath. Who can be saved? Anyone. Anyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of Jesus in this way, we put it in the, in the core belief statement, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord in this way, it's not merely calling upon Jesus to make your life better. It's not merely calling upon Jesus to help you out of a difficult situation. It is calling upon Jesus in this way, in the way in which we believe in His work on our behalf to save us from our sins and to redeem us from judgment. Anyone can be saved. Everyone will be saved who calls on the name of the Lord in this way. At Agape Church, we believe salvation into Christ occurs by grace through faith. Grace is the catalyst. Faith is the means. Both are gifts of God. Church, be humble and be thankful. Saving faith comes as we hear the Gospel. So we should speak it. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord in this way will be saved. Not by their own works, but by belief in the finished work of Jesus. This saving faith, though, is demonstrated in our lives. And we cover that in the middle section of this core belief paragraph. Scripture teaches that the person who desires to be saved must sincerely believe from their heart Jesus is the Son of God raised from the dead after suffering for the redemption of sins. That's what Romans shows us. And this belief leads them to repentance of sin and confession that Jesus is Lord. Very important point here. Saving faith is demonstrated by these things. But I want you to understand, these are not works unto salvation. These are works coming from salvation. These are not things that, that if we do these exactly right, we'll be saved. We're saved by grace through faith. But these are things that if we have truly been saved, they will be demonstrated out of us. Number one, a willing confession to all. A willing confession to all. Going back to Romans 10.10, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. 
not just confessing Jesus as Lord to your church family, but confessing Jesus as Lord to anyone. Going back to that Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. If we're ashamed to confess to someone that we're a Christ follower, it is a sign of something in us spiritually that the Lord needs to work on. Because confession of our faith is a demonstration that we have been saved. I'm not saying it's not easy. I'm not saying it won't be cumbersome to you or you won't be nervous at first, but I am saying the answer to the question, are you a Christ follower? The person who has been saved will not be ashamed to say, yes, I am. Jesus is my Lord. Secondly, saving faith is demonstrated by a willing repentance of sin. Acts 2.38 shows us this. 1 John 1.9 shows us this. Repentance of sin is us not living a perfect life, but saying, Jesus died to suffer the wrath for my sins. I am going to turn from my sin and walk in a different direction. I know there's going to be struggles. I know that I'm going to wrestle with sin. I know I'm going to wrestle with temptation. But I'm going to make it my life to look to Jesus and when I see sin in my life, I'm going to pray to be able to lay it down. I'm going to repent of these things. I no longer want the worldly life. I no longer want the life where I just do whatever feels good. I want the life that Jesus has called me to. I know I'm going to have to say no to some things. I know I'm going to have to say yes to some other things that I, I probably don't want to do, but I am going to follow Him. That is a demonstration that He has done something in your heart. But let me end with this one because I want to tell you, I've seen many people confess Jesus to then later turn from Him. I remember sharing the Gospel with someone and I remember them being so excited, they posted it on their Facebook that they were redeemed by Jesus and saved. Today, they have nothing to do with Him. It's not a one-time confession. It's also not a one-time repentance. Saving faith is demonstrated by an ongoing clinging to Jesus. Going back to Galatians 2.20, it's an ongoing clinging. Some of you in this room right now, you can tell me, you could tell anyone, the moment you came to know Christ. You could tell us the day, the hour, the event. And if you have that testimony, praise God. Some of you can't. Some of you don't have real clarity on that. I'll be honest, I don't. I'm not exactly sure. I know the moment I made a confession of faith, I know when I was baptized, I saw God working in my life, but I went off the trail for a bunch of years. And God brought me back. Here's what matters. If you know the moment, praise God, but here's what matters. Right now today, are you clinging to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? Right now today, are you holding on to Him? 
and believing upon Him for your salvation. That's what matters. Because if you're not doing that today, your previous confession is not a demonstration of faith. But that confession and that repentance in an ongoing way is a demonstration. Going back to Galatians 2. So let's end with this. Take action. Every week as we look at some of these core beliefs, and we're starting with the foundation of what we believe as a church is salvation into Christ. Every week I want to give you action steps. What do we do? At Agape Church, we believe salvation into Christ occurs by grace through faith. Scripture teaches one who desires to be saved must sincerely believe from their heart Jesus Christ is the Son of God, raised from the dead after suffering for the redemption of sins. And this belief is demonstrated, leads them to repentance of sin and confession Jesus is Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord in this way will be saved. Not by their own works, but by their belief in the finished work of Jesus on their behalf. So what do you do? What do you do? If you are sitting in this room, only you are going to know this. If you're sitting in this room and you have doubts, if you're sitting in this room and you are not sure, maybe, maybe you know, I, I've, I, I don't really believe this. I've never really come to this understanding of salvation. I don't know. I, I really don't think I'm saved. Or maybe you just don't have clarity. I, maybe you, you were where I was for years. Probably five years or more of my life. I wasn't sure. Even being in this church 20 years ago, trying to pursue Jesus, I was wrestling. Am I saved? Am I not saved? Pray for faith. Pray for faith. Do you understand what a great thing it is that God is not looking at you and saying, drum it up. Pray. Pray for this faith. It's a sign if you even want it, that God is working in your life. Pray for faith. Hear the Gospel. Hear the Gospel. Read it out loud to yourself from the Bible. Put yourself in positions to hear it in podcasts and preaching. Listen to the Gospel over and over and over. Because that's where saving faith comes from. And then, when you reach that place where you are able to say, I have called upon the Lord. I have called upon Jesus to be saved. And I am believing in His finished work on the cross. Now what? Exercise that faith. Repent of your sin in an ongoing way. Live your life for Christ. Don't just live for what you want, live for Him, live by faith, and look for ways to share your faith boldly. Look for ways to share your faith with others. Philippians chapter 2, it's one of my favorite New Testament verses. Paul says, church, work out your own salvation. Work it out. Exercise your faith. Live your salvation. You have responsibility. He says, work out your own salvation for because it is God who works in you both to will and to act for His good pleasure. Paul says, 
God is working in you desires and the ability to exercise your faith, so do it. Work it out with fear and trembling.